It's time to get inside the Giants huddle. Huddle up, huddle up, huddle up. On Giants.com. Here we go, here we go. And the Giants mobile Get them in there, let's go. Part of the Giants podcast network. Welcome to the newest edition of the Giants huddle podcast. John Schmelk with you today. Giants beat reporter from the record. Art Stapleton joins us. But first, I want to remind everybody, you can find the Giants huddle podcast on the Giants podcast network presented by Investors Bank at Giants.com slash podcast, the Giants mobile app, and of course, all your favorite podcast platforms. And now we're joined by our guest. He is Art Stapleton. He covers the New York football giants for the record. And of course, NorthJersey.com. Art, how are you, my man? It's good to see you. I'm doing well, John. You know, it's trying to, we're, we're slowly but surely inching towards normalcy, right? Or whatever normal is going to be down the road. So it's been a busy off season, surprisingly. Yes, it has been. And we were planning on doing this last Friday and then we were all on <laughs> Kenny Galladay watch. And then we we're like, well, we'll see if anything else happens. And I think, well, I think, I think, we think we're at the end here of the Giants' major moves, and there's been a lot of them. So I guess I'll start with a generic question. I'll let you take us in whatever direction you want. What was the move to you that stuck out the most that you think is going to have the biggest significant impact on the Giants entering the 2021 season? That's a great question. Uh, I think, you know, I went into this offseason believing that they were going to be strategic, that they were going to identify – a couple players at the top of the market that they may have had stronger interest than the rest. Uh, that would be at, you know, at edge. Uh, I thought at corner, they would look, I thought wide receiver, they would give a, you know, give a look. Um, you know, and I, I thought I was a little surprised by tight end to be honest, but I think you have to go to the Galladay move. The, the Dory Jackson move uh, strengthens what is already a strength at least in theory, you've made a, a big swing at someone who you believe in his potential. But as far as Galladay, I mean, when he's healthy, uh, there's no denying what he can do offensively, especially on the perimeter, pressing the boundary, contested catches. Uh, and the one thing that Daniel Jones has been praised for since he got here, really before he even took the job, uh, took the job over as starter, was the idea that He's willing and unafraid to put the ball up to let his receivers go get it. I had several receivers tell me that even before Daniel took over for Eli back when he was a rookie. And now to bring a guy like Galladay in here, um, I, I just think it opens up the offense completely and now has somebody. And, and you know, look, we get confused. I, not confused, but we get caught up in the idea of when you're analyzing a position, this isn't meant to disrespect Sterling Shepard or, or Darius Slayton or even what Evan Ingram can become in this offense, at least what the Giants believe he can. Galladay is a different type of receiver, and that will open everything up potentially for a healthy Saquon Barkley and the running game. So I think it's Galladay. I do think – I know we'll get into Dory Jackson, but – I think the Galladay signing was the one that the Giants kind of threw their hands up and said, you know what, we're here, we need to be aggressive, we made this move, and now let's see where we can go uh, offensively going into uh, 2021. 30, 31st in, in offense doesn't cut it in the NFL today. Yeah, and Art, the way I look at it too, and I think you hit it on the head, well, I'm not going to label these guys, oh, he's a number one, he's a number two. I'm talking about style and role and the things that Galladay can do. Uh, he has physical capabilities and past production in certain types of plays that the guys in the Giants roster right now just don't. 
I'll go back to two pro football focused advanced stats that I looked up from 2018 to 2019. And I think they're telling he is the second most receiving yards on passes targeted 20 or more yards down the field. Second to only Tyreek Hill. Okay. So he's a big play guy. One number two, second in number of contested catches in 2018 and 2019 behind only Julio Jones. And by the way, the three guys after him, Allen Robinson, Michael Thomas, and DeAndre Hopkins. So that's a damn good group to be in. And that's just something that the Giants don't currently have on the roster. And I think you're able with Galladay in the mix, you're able to slot in those other guys into roles that they can excel at. Slayton, straight ahead, deep, beat them over the top. You know, shepherd separation, slot, back side to side, back and forth, get open in that short intermediate area. I think it just makes the whole group fit together a lot better than the group they were throwing out there last year. Yeah, and and I think the the interesting part of of Galladay too is you're not bringing in a 31 year old receiver here that may or may not be on his last legs. You know, when they brought in Brandon Marshall, they said Brandon Marshall, hey, may fit. What a deal they may get. And it turned out that Brandon had nothing left in the tank. You made the play for Golden Tate. Uh, as much as Golden Tate, he was a finishing piece. He was not a foundational piece. And I think when you look at Galladay and the commitment that the Giants made at 27 years old, the size he has, the fit in this offense, I don't think there's any question that they view him as a foundational piece uh, and we can get into contracts all we want and start breaking down outs. And you know what? Good teams don't break down contracts and start looking at how they're going to get out of contracts. They look at contracts and say, how are we going to extend this to make this player uh, an extended part of our foundation? And I think they looked at Galladay and Adoree Jackson as those kind of guys where in 2022, if the Giants are talking about competing for a Super Bowl legitimately, these two guys will have been pushed to the forefront that they are your guys. They are key guys in this, uh, in this roster. Yeah, no, and I think you hit it, and, and we'll get back to the individual players in a second, but in terms of the overall strategy, I think all you can say is that, and I'll throw Leonard Williams into the mix too because he's now signed long-term foundational piece. They identified three guys that they believe in and they want to build their team around, and that's why they committed to these guys. If they work out, it's going to be great. If they don't work out after dishing out these contracts, it's going to be really bad. And that's just kind of the way it's going to work here. And that's the commitment you're making. And I think they identified that, look, you have to do some cap gymnastics and all this stuff. But this was a market where it was depressed a little bit. So maybe you get a little bit of a deal on the first year and then they become more market value contracts as you move on in the deals with their cap numbers, et cetera. But they're betting on these guys to be great Pro Bowl caliber players. And if they are, no one's going to care what they make. And here's the key, John. They looked at the depressed market, and I don't know if you felt the same way, but this is how I felt. Everyone's going to be looking to get the best deal. Where can I get the bargain? Where can I get the second-tier free agent and pay him like a third-tier free agent, right? That's what everyone was thinking with the market. Which guys were going to be able to come in on one-year deals? You have an opportunity to get a guy to come in, a Will Fuller in Miami. You get a you know, relatively, I think it was one million ten, uh, one year, ten million dollars for Will Fuller with Miami. So, could Kenny Galladay had have ended up with that? Probably, probably would have gotten a little more in a one-year deal. But for all the criticism, I think the Giants used the depressed market to their benefit. 
is that they looked at and said, look, if we're aggressive with guys who are in the right age with the right production that we view, if we're aggressive in a depressed market and give them what they would normally be making on the open market on a normal year, 2022-2023, then we might be able to take advantage of this market in a different way than most teams are attacking it. And I think that's kind of what they did. And it's credit to Dave Gettleman. It's credit to Kevin Abrams, the rest of the front office. Credit to Joe Judge for being able to identify players that fit into what they need after a self-scout in January of saying, you know what, this is what we need to take that next step. And I, I do think the Giants deserve credit for a little bit of an unorthodox approach where they're going to take on criticism. The, the idea that, that Dave Gettleman and John Mara were out there throwing money around, I don't think it's as simple as that. I don't think you should take a simplistic approach uh, to assessing what they did because I don't believe they did that. I think they tried to use the, the market to their advantage by keeping guys. What, John, what good would it be if they signed Kenny Galladay and Adoree Jackson to one-year deals and then those guys blew up the way they expected them to. And now they can't keep them here because someone's going to outbid them next year. Uh, and now you're sitting in 2022 without those foundational pieces that you thought were going to get you into a position where you could contend and not just talk about contending in a 6-10 and 10 division, but contending legitimately. Right, and now if you get that big cap bump you're looking at in 2023 also, then all of a sudden the money down the road doesn't matter quite as much either. So that's something else to keep in mind. And I think in terms of general strategy, Art, now we're not talking about, oh, you know, slow build, let's make some progress this year, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You make moves like this, and I don't think the Giants would, would run away from this at all. Now you're talking about, all right, it's I'm not saying win the division or bust, but that's the goal here, and in an NFC East, and we know how you know poorly the division played last year in relation to the rest of the league, that that's now your realistic goal this year. And I think that's what they're going to be judged as, right? Yeah, I don't think there's any question about that. I mean, there, there should be teams. Look, we go to year to year, John. I mean, it, there's different ways to look at how teams are built, right? I mean, the Giants have been a team the last four years where – they're waiting for their draft picks to come of age. Okay, it's time for Lorenzo Carter to step up. Okay, O'Shane Zimenez is going to somehow solve the edge problem. This was the question in the last two years, right? I mean, what are you doing at edge? Um, you know, different situations. Now you look at the wide receiver position. Is Darius Slayton, you know, personally, is he a top-tier guy or is he just a good fit? I mean, he's a fifth-round pick that they nailed as a rookie. So as a team, I think the philosophy is the idea that, look, we're giving our coaching staff the pieces that they say they need to compete. You look in this division, there's no question that the Giants can compete with what's in this division. Uh, and I think that's kind of where you go at. But Joe Judge isn't going to all of a sudden talk about, hey, now we're going to win the division. Uh, we already saw that last year, that they're not going to make a big deal over where they're picked uh, in the NFC East. But I do think, like you said, internally, the message has been sent that we believe in what you did in year one. We believe you're on the right path and we're going to give you the pieces that you need to do to legitimately get to where you want to be, where you're not sitting there on a Sunday waiting for the Eagles to not play their <laughs> third string quarterback in order to be able to beat Washington 
and get into the playoffs. All right, let's let's go to one of the other big signings, and that's a Dory Jackson art that came down earlier this week. And look, he's a player, much like Kenny Dalladay, coming off his rookie contract, former first-round pick. Tennessee had activated his fifth-year option and decided to take it off. Has been a very effective player, over 30 pass breakups over the course of his four years with Tennessee, two picks. He's someone that they did take that fifth-year option off of. He only played in three games last year with Tennessee. Your thoughts on the Adoree Jackson signing and what he can bring to the field for the Giants? Definitely a surprise. Uh, it was a surprise because he wasn't on the market. I mean, if the Giants in the front office are going to tell you, now granted, we know things go down back channels in the league and you kind of hear things before it hits the news. But you know, you go the night before the league year was opening and that's when Adoree Jackson was uh, released. The Giants could not have had that as an option on their board. So I do give them a little credit for adjusting on the fly, that sudden change that Joe Judge always talks about, and the idea that, look, this is a player we like. Let's dig in here and see what went wrong in 2020 when his play dipped. Obviously, he missed time with the knee injury. Uh, Do we have the opportunity to get him here to be able to check him out and – Can we put on a full court press with guys that he knows and trusts? I mean, that's the reality. Logan Ryan, you know, Adoree Jackson said Logan Ryan was the first person to call him when the news broke that he was being waived by Tennessee. And it wasn't so much his former teammate or a guy that he looked up to calling and saying, hey, you need to come to the Giants. It was, hey, how are you? Like, what's going on mentally? Where are you feeling? What's that? Where it's at? And then you got to come to the Giants, that kind of thing. So I think they're, they're taking a chance on, on Jackson. They also are taking into consideration that what they had at the number two cornerback position last year, opposite James Bradbury, now you're bringing in a guy like Adoree whose skill set, obviously he's a fast guy. He can close uh, against deep balls. I mean, you mentioned pro football focus numbers. All of the grades, I mean, pro football focus loves Adoree Jackson prior to 2020. Uh, so the analytics actually play out in Jackson's favor. And he's 25 years old, John. I mean, you got a 25-year-old corner who, yes, was a first-round pick, but this wasn't a situation where he flamed out. This isn't a, a, you know, a reclamation project. This is a guy who had a rough year last year who was injured, who came back, by the way, the last three games of the year and actually played in the, in the playoff game too. So this wasn't a guy who said, I'm out, I'm focused on next year. Uh, so I, I think they took a risk. They liked the player. I thought it's funny that Thomas McGahee, the special teams coordinator, recruited both Jabril Peppers and Adoree Jackson to LSU when T-Mac was down at LSU. And the fact that both now are here with the Giants – I thought that was kind of funny how how you never know how things work. Uh, and Peppers also recruited Jackson back when he committed to Michigan. He tried getting Adoree Jackson to commit to the Wolverines. Obviously, that didn't happen, but it worked out in their favor now. So a lot of potential for Adoree Jackson. It's not set in stone. We'll see how what it happens. But obviously, they believe in the player. And we'll, we'll get to Rudolph specifically as a player. But Art, the one thing that you do have in common with Rudolph, with Galladay, with Jackson, is that all three guys dealt with injuries last year, some more than others. 
Is there any concern there, you know, investing in those three type of guys the way they did, given the fact they're coming off of seasons where they lost more than half of their games due to injury? I think there has to be some concern. I mean, there is a level of concern. All three players that were checked out by the Giants doctors before they put pen to paper. Uh, I mean, uh, I think the trust that this organization has in Ronnie Barnes and uh, you know, when you look at the medical staff that they've assembled through the years, this isn't one of those things where the Giants will take risks. So that's also an interesting thing is that you always hear that the Giants are more conservative on the injury front, that if a guy, you know, has something that they don't clear him. I mean, look what happened with Kyle Rudolph. Um, you know, obviously they get together and they figure out a plan going forward. Um, there is concern. But um, I think the Giants were aggressive enough to the point where they said, we got our hands on them. We looked at them. If they weren't here and you didn't get a chance to check them out yourself, maybe you, you don't make those commitments. But I do think they, they trust their staff. Um, look, staffs are wrong sometimes. Um, but I think in this case, the Giants are trusting that they're right. How about Rudolph? He's a guy that, to me, what jumps out to me, Art, is his ability to, to- – score in the red zone, contested catches, things like that. Is that for you the big factor with Rudolph here and how he'll be utilized down there with Evan Ingram in some of those areas where the Giants had trouble punching the ball in last year? Definitely. I mean, Rudolph and Galladay, I mean, you look at their red zone numbers, they're through the roof. Um, so the, the Giants will now have a situation where you know you have at least two proven guys. And Sterling Shepard is outstanding in the red zone. We've seen him make plays uh, through the years that – you know, down inside, I mean, that, that's his area to excel. You know, if you're, you're in tight quarters, you know where to go, you know. And, and like Rudolph said when he had a Zoom with the media, the idea that, you know, we, you know that, that's kind of where you, you kind of turn to your basketball background a little bit and go up and get the ball, and, that, and that's just it. You know, throw it to Kyle or don't throw it to anybody. Um, so I, I do like Rudolph. I was surprised. Um, but I, I think another thing that the more – I did researching Rudolph is that I didn't realize how good of a blocker he had become. Um, and I'm not trying to say that all of a sudden he's this blocking tight end, but he did point out, you know, the idea that he's been in an offense with Adrian Peterson and Dalvin cook, especially cook where he's learned the value of being that guy in a run game and what that can do uh, for the running back. And he said he was excited to kind of do the same thing with Saquon Barkley here. So uh, I think Rudolph, I mean, across the board, anyone you talk to, I know there are a lot of, a lot of fans of Rudolph in the Giants building. Uh, they've known him for a long time. I mean, this isn't Kyle Rudolph coming from, you know, Northern Illinois. I mean, this is a guy who played at Notre Dame. So they, they know him. They, they are very aware of who he is. You know, Charlie Weiss coached them. So, I mean, to hear them when they were together on the radio the other day with Bob Papa and Charlie – you know, you hear Weiss and Rudolph go back and forth. I'm sure if anyone in the Giants organization talked to Charlie, uh, they got high grades. The irony with Rudolph is that the relationship that I knew most about Rudolph was his connection to Pat Shermer when they were together in Minnesota. Um, so I think that's kind of interesting that, you know, a year removed from Pat Shermer being here as the head coach, now Kyle Rudolph ends up. Uh, in New York. I, I think if, if Kyle Rudolph were a free agent last year or the year before, I should say, when Pat was here, I wonder if they would have tried to bring him in 
to uh, to mix up with with Shermer because I know Shermer loved him in Minnesota. Yeah, Shermer was he was actually his position coach there too at tight ends before right. he took over for North Turner. So yeah, those guys definitely had a had a tight relationship. Limited Giant season tickets are on sale now for the 2021 season. In addition to ticket savings, membership benefits include access to exclusive events, experiences, pre sales, and more. You can lock in your seat starting at just 100 bucks. Call 888 NYG1925 or visit Giants.com/tickets for more information. Hey, Giant fans, get a New York Giants checking account from Investors Bank with the Giants branded debit card, security features, and discounts at the Giants online shop. You can earn up to $250 when you open an account at InvestorsBank.com slash Giants member FDIC. Don't miss it on your chance to experience a premier hospitality experience watching Giant games and world-class concerts in 2021 as a Giants suite partner. Limited full-season locations are available or place a deposit for individual games. Call 888-NYG-1925 or visit Giants.com slash suites for more information. Right, before we get into kind of big, you know, big picture giant team stuff moving forward, any of the other small signings jump out to you, whether it's John Ross, Devontae Booker, um, Afadio Denebo, go down the list. Um, any of those guys really jump out to you that could end up being significant? You know what? I, I like Ryan Anderson, and I know it's, it's probably not official yet uh, from the Giants. He's still got to come in and take his physical. Uh, but Ryan Anderson, the outside linebacker, edge from from Washington, uh, you know, played at Bama. We know the the roots there. Um, I, I think he's a guy who, with an opportunity, could come in here and be a rotational guy. Uh, and you know, two years ago, he had a breakout season. I think it was four sacks. Uh, then they switched in Washington, obviously, to Del Rio's four three. So you're playing an even front. He's kind of out of position, and he was behind you know, big names, big time players in Washington. So uh, I think they identified him. Uh, Jeremy Pruitt was his DC in Alabama. Uh, and Pruitt actually is a fun fact I found about Anderson. Pruitt actually named one of his kids. The middle name is after Anderson. <laughs> yep. A after Anderson. And uh, I think it was, I think I'm trying to remember I had it. I just wrote it and I'm, I'm, but another teammate, <laughs> I think it was Foster. I think it's Foster, Foster Anderson is the middle name of one of Jeremy Pruitt's uh, kids. So, you know, he loved him and he's a defensive staff uh, assistant with Joe judge now this year here with the giants. So a lot of Intel on, on Anderson. He's one of those guys that I think um, could be, you know, you're, we're sitting here in October and he's making plays and he's standing out on special teams and you're looking at it and you're going, wait a minute, they signed this guy for a million dollars? Like, how did that happen? And it's funny, Anderson, I think, kind of brings us to the one position art where, and disagree with me freely if you want, that I really think is probably, uh, probably still a big need is edge rusher. You don't have that established guy rushing off the edge, assuming you're counting Leonard Williams as more of a three technique inside defensive lineman. You have Lorenzo Carter coming off a serious injury. You have O'Shane Zimenez, who, for a shoulder injury, missed the second half of the year. Um, you brought in Afadio Denebo, who has some – he has 10.5 sacks last two seasons. Pretty good, but he's not a guy that is going to get you double-digit sacks on the regular. And then they add a guy like Ryan – again, reportedly are going to add a guy like Ryan Anderson pending a physical and all that stuff. So – your thoughts on that position, is that really the spot where you have your eye on where maybe they can try to make some type of move, whether it's the draft or somewhere else, to try to add more of an impact player coming off the edge? Yeah, you know, I, I mean, it's it's obvious that that they don't have a proven guy there who's going to come out. I mean, uh, you know, I know they were, in, they, they were interested in Leonard Floyd. I mean, the Leonard Floyd saga, I think we're all going to write a book about the Giants <laughs> and the player they never were able to get 
You know, when he's 34 at some point and they're trying to win their second Super Bowl, Leonard Floyd's going to come on a one-year deal as a veteran. And we're all going to write a book about the, tr- the trials and tribulations of the pursuit of Leonard Floyd. Um, what it tells me is that, number one, we know they're loaded in the secondary. And the Ravens are very um, – they're a team that believes on coverage over pressure, that coverage will create the pressure up front. And I do think that Pat Graham is going to look to take a little bit of that and continue forward. The idea that with all the defensive backs that this team has, are they going to be look, looking to play more amoeba defense, sub-packages, where you're not looking at your traditional edge guys. You're putting Leonard Williams on the edge to create mismatches up front. You know, maybe two down linemen, which we saw some last year. Uh, so I think that's kind of what it speaks to more than anything else. Is that I think they'd love to have an edge rusher who they can count on for 70 snaps a game. Uh, but the fact that they don't, I think they'll adjust to it. I think they'll look at it and say, in sub packages, we know we have the personnel that we like. Uh, let's get them on the field. And however we can do that, we know we're going to be manned up on the back end, or at least we'll be in sound coverage, whether it's zone or man. Uh, and then let's get after it up front with a bunch of different, you know, like I said, unconventional situations where Leonard Williams may be rushing inside on one down. You bring in uh, Oda Hedebo to come in. I think that's how you pronounce it. But I Odenabo. 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 Yes. Um, you know, I, I reference it how I had to spell it about 100 times. <laughs> I see Odin and I, my, the Marvel Comics lover in me sees Odin. And I constantly think back to... Uh, you know, obviously the king of, o- you know, the king Odin, yep. but whatever. Well, I know I'm losing, I'm losing everyone now, but yeah, you're hundred percent right with the edge. I think that's a, that's a situation that warrants watching. And we do have the draft coming up in, in April. So uh, I think there are some guys that may not necessarily stand out at 11, uh, which is obviously where the giants are right now. I think they may, may like some guys that they can do some things with whether it's first round, second round, uh, we'll see how that that second phase of the offseason acquisition uh, turns out. Good transition art to the draft. Can they look at this now and just say at 11, aside from the edge players, because you talk about that and we could talk about the offensive line too, but can they really just almost discard need at this point and just say, all right, we think this guy is the highest graded player. If he's a wide receiver, great. If he's a cornerback, great. If he's an edge rusher, great. If he's an offensive lineman, great. We're just going to take the best guy. And that's always what Dave Gettleman's told us, right? He uses free agency to plug holes so he doesn't have to fill needs in the draft. Is that where the Giants are right now, in your opinion? Yes, I do. And I think that's kind of where they've been from the moment Joe Judge came on board. Because I think Dave Gettleman once told me, and I'm going to have a story about this at some point next week. Dave Gettleman said, and this was in Pat Shermer's regime, and he said, my job as a general manager is to know the vision of my head coach and to do everything I can to get him the players and the things he needs to make that vision come true. Basically, I'm paraphrasing. I have Dave's quote, you know, built the way that I'll use uh, when I write the story. But the Giants right now, they embraced Joe Judge's vision the moment that he walked out of that interview for the head coaching job. And I think the front office, what they've done well and that's Dave Gettleman, that's Kevin Abrams, it's everyone on the personnel side, it's ownership. 
they have bought into Judge, just like Judge's players have bought into him. They've bought into Judge, and I think they have a very clear vision as to what they want from this team. And I don't think they're walking into the draft going, okay, we need this position for 2021 and we'll worry about 2022 later. I think they're going to look at this position, look at the spot, whether it's 11 or in the second round or the third round and say, how does this guy help us build into what we want? You know, if I don't have him for half a year because he's still learning, but I think that come November, this guy is going to be firing on all cylinders. I think they will take them. So on that front, I think need is kind of, put to the side a little bit and you look at, you say, let's take the best player. And I think I wrote something this week. Look, if that best player is Devonte Smith or that player is JC Horn or Patrick Sertan, you take them. You don't look at it and you don't walk away from good players. If you walk away from good players, the following year, you're chasing a good player. And I think if you're chasing a good player, that is not where this team wants to be. They've been in that position for a long time now, and they hit on some, but they've missed on a lot. And if you're chasing that guy uh, and you can look across you know, your division and you see guys, I mean, look, the Cowboys, whether they didn't win last year or not, they're still loaded up at wide receiver. I mean, they have Amari Cooper, CeeDee Lamb, and Michael Gallup. They didn't walk away from CeeDee Lamb last year and say, ah, oh, we should go get him. Now CeeDee Lamb is arguably the best player on their, on their offense. So I think Giants, as much as they're going to need guys, if that need does not match up, you just take the good player and you say, you know what? Let's see what happens in August and September. I mean, things look a lot different sometimes in September on the depth chart than maybe they do in March and April. You know, Art – this year, a big part of it is figuring out what they have in Daniel Jones, right? And getting, knowing exactly how you want to proceed, how good he's going to be, how, how good he can be. And they've done a lot of work already to put the offense around him, the weapons that he needs. But look, the offensive line in front of him is still very young. I think they're pretty set at the tackle position. Andrew Thomas, Matt Parrott, third-round pick last year. Nate Solder, you got a vet there, two young guys. I think they're in pretty good shape there. But in the interior at guard, assuming Nick Gates, they're happy with him at center. I don't see why they wouldn't be. They have the two young guys, Shane Lemieux, Will Hernandez. Then you got guys like Chad Slade. They brought in Jonathan Harrison, who's an interior guy, center guard combo. Do you think they still want to add more to that guard spot, a veteran that can compete with the young guys that you know there's a baseline level of play? Could they use a high draft pick on, an, on, a, on a guard that can compete with those two guys? You know, Will's also entering the last year of his rookie contract, so we'll have to make a decision on him. How do you think they view that offensive line, specifically the interior, moving forward here to make sure Daniel Jones not only has the weapons that he needs, but has the protection that he needs too? Because we've seen it, right? The Giants have had weapons before. If you can't protect, it doesn't make that much of a difference. 100%. And that goes on Saquon Barkley too. I mean, we're talking about evaluating Daniel Jones, and I get the pressure. But there's evaluation on Saquon as well. I mean, his fifth-year option is coming, which they have to pick it up, um, at least in my mind. But, um, you know, you're talking about your two best offensive players that you need uh, – you're still looking for an evaluation on. That, um, that puts you in a tough position. I, I do think that there are places to improve this offensive line. I think they need to, to give themselves options. I don't know necessarily if they have those options yet. I, I like what they did with Nate Solder. Uh, I think getting him to come back, 
Uh, and he made a big commitment. We hear about restructures of contracts around the league when it's guys who are stars and productive players who basically just take a sign. They, they have their salary turned into a signing bonus. So they get their money today instead of tomorrow. That's not necessarily a sacrifice. Nate Solder sacrificed to come back here to be with the Giants. Would he have gotten another opportunity? I'm not sure. But I like what they have at tackle right now. Could it be better? Sure, of course. Uh, but what they have inside, I, I think they should be looking at the second and third tier of guys who, you know, maybe you find a veteran on a one-year deal who can come in at a, at a cheap, you know, inexpensive rate and say, Give me what you got. I want to see what you got. Because if my guys aren't ready, I want to see where you are. And you buy yourself a time to maybe draft a guy on day two that could be an interior lineman. There are a lot of interior linemen this year that people like in that second and third round. So maybe you, you get an opportunity to, to snag an offensive lineman there. Um, but this whole idea, John, and I know you guys hear it all the time too. The Giants have poured assets into the offensive line. It's not that they're not trying to improve this offensive line. Sooner or later, some of these guys, you got to make them hit, whether it's develop them or pick the right guys. So, you know, if you're looking at, you know, from left to right, if you're looking at an Andrew Thomas, Will Hernandez, Nate, Nick Gates, uh, Shane Lemieux, and Matt Parrott, I mean, you're talking about first rounder, second rounder. You've made the most out of an undrafted free agent, which is great your fifth rounder at right guard, and then the third rounder at right tackle. Those I mean, are real you, picks. They're, those are real yeah, picks. It's a, I mean, except, except for Lemieux, which you would understand, you, you have to develop a guy a little bit. Uh, and then, obviously, you hit on an undrafted uh, guy you converted to center in Nick Gates. I mean, that's, pretty, that's a good job. Uh, you got to have the other guys step up. So – Rob Sale, the offensive, the new offensive line coach. I mean, Joe Judge is putting a lot of emphasis. You know, Pat Flaherty back in the organization as an advisor on both sides of the ball. Uh, but obviously, he's going to have some sort of voice with the offensive line. Uh, I just, I think that it'll be nice to add a piece or two if they're the right piece. I don't think you just go out and all of a sudden, well, we got to draft an offensive lineman because this is going to work. The Giants have done that, and it's failed you got to try to try something different. And I think they have a good approach. Now they've got to make it work. Now, one guy they couldn't bring back this offseason was Dalvin Tomlinson Art. Do you think they need to bring in a guy to, to kind of fill in where he left off? Or do you think the Austin Johnsons of the world, maybe Dexter Lawrence plays some more nose tackle? Are the guys on the roster, BJ Hill, RJ McIntosh, go down the list. Are those guys going to be able to step in and give you enough from what you're losing with Dalvin walking out the door? Yeah, I mean, I, I think you, you have to... You have to look ahead and say, you know, Austin Johnson came back. I mean, he was he was good in, in a yeah, limited role last year. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily look to. I mean, starting versus coming in and playing playing snaps off, you know, off the bench. I, that doesn't really matter anymore. I mean, Patrick Graham has pretty much shown. I mean, you had you had linebackers here last year who got the start, and then when you looked at the game at the end of the game, their defensive snaps were around 12, 13 per game. So starting versus filling a role is important. I would look for a guy in the draft. I mean, look, it's different regimes, but the personnel philosophy is similar. The Giants have done well finding that quote-unquote run-stopping defensive tackle in the draft, and those guys are available. They're always available. 
third round, fourth round. You want to fit a, a prototype? I mean, Tomlinson went second round. Jonathan Hankins was second round. You paid big money for Snacks Harrison, who was a, an undrafted guy but made the most of his career. So I, I think the Giants will figure it out. I think they probably have a little bit of a plan. Um, you know, where does BG, BJ Hill fit? Uh, it'll be interesting. You know, it'll be very interesting to see if he's in a rotational spot or did they like what they saw enough from BJ Hill last year? But like you said, maybe you kick Dexter to the nose a little bit more, have BJ Hill come and play that role. And then you have Leonard up front and, and then kind of move things around. But, um, you know, I, I think there's a chance that they bring a defensive tackle in through the draft and have that guy play, you know, 25 snaps a game in run packages if he's good enough. Uh, and then that's how you kind of replace Dalvin. But look, Dalvin's a great player. It's unfortunate that they weren't able to keep him. I think they were a year too late. If they were aggressive early on uh, in his career, maybe they could have gotten him to stay here uh, at a lower rate, but they had to pick and choose. And I think they made the right call with Leonard Williams versus Dalvin Thomas. How do you think Patrick Graham art is going to approach this defense now? Because last year, you know, he did such a good job with the disguising and playing different zones and doing things like that. But I think we all kind of thought that was out of nature for what he did in Miami and what he's always classically done from the places he's been as a defensive defensive coach with a lot of man to man. Do you think we're going to see more man now with the Dory Jackson there and things like that? Or will he stick with what worked last year where the Giants were a you know, top 10 defense in, in most ways. I think it's fascinating to see how, you know, Patrick Graham does adjust, if at all, how he utilizes, frankly, the improved personnel he's going to have with the addition of Jackson. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a great, a great point. And if, if a Dory Jackson is the player that the Giants are paying for, then you're probably going to see more man. Uh, I mean, I think that's the disguise element uh, of what you can do now in that secondary. And the idea of, how well Jerome Henderson, secondary coach, works with Patrick Graham in terms of set and third downs. Heard that a lot from players last year. The idea of, you know, the third down plan that they would come up with, the give and take between Logan Ryan, Jabril Peppers, uh, you know, Blake Martinez, obviously. Um, I think what Graham is going to do is it's not so much adding tools to his toolbox. It gives him an opportunity to kind of create more formulas to kind of put out there on the field. So absolutely. I think if you're looking at what a Dory Jackson can do, I mean, there may be times where you say, you know, a Dory is the guy we're going to build around in man. And then we're going to have Bradbury play a little zone. Yeah. We saw Bradbury play some zone against Washington last year, that interception he had in coverage against Terry McLaurin was the perfect call in that situation. Then when you look the second Washington game, the Giants confused Alex Smith tremendously, and that's how Peppers and Logan Ryan got their, their interception. So I, I think, you know, look, Patrick Graham's staying, and, and that's something that probably is going to get glossed over. We won't talk about it enough. Patrick Graham deciding to forego any type of head coaching interviews and sign up to stay with the Giants and be, you know, be the Belichick to Joe Judge's Bill Parcells. I joked about that. And I'm not trying to say that that's where they are, but that's kind of the respect that Joe Judge has given Patrick Graham is that when Parcells looked at Belichick, there was that respect there. I mean, there was a respect there. Okay, you're my guy. How are we going to do this? 
And I think we saw that at the senior bowl, Joe judge and Patrick Graham were there together um, with the limitations of the rest of the staff. Uh, I think Patrick Graham right now knew what he had coming back. They had to talk about things they would do if they got X, Y, and Z. So I, I like the idea of what Patrick Graham can do. And I think the question you ask me is a question that offensive coordinators around the league, specifically in the NFC East, have to be asking about the Giants, is that what is Patrick Graham going to do now with the type of talent that he has assembled, especially on the back end? Because if you can get the coverage together, you can figure it out up front. And I think that's kind of what they're looking at. In Art, even I remember he was talking about coming back from that Washington game. He was, oh, yeah, you know, Pat and I watched and taped together in the front car or on the flame. Me and Pat watched this. And you kind of feel yeah. like those two guys are really attached at the hip. I, I'm, I'm with you 100%. And I think, interestingly, on offense now, you ask the same question, right? I don't know if you agree with this take, but my opinion last year is that the Giants – decided the best way they had a chance to win games was to play a conservative offense, run the ball, protect it. Don't turn it over. We know our defense is good. Let them try to win us games in tight 2017, 17, 14 type of games. Right. But now with some more weapons on offense, Saquon Barkley, may be back Daniel Jones, a year older, second year in a system. Do you think we're going to see this offense open up a little bit and be a little bit more spread out a little bit more pass heavy or do you still think they're going to stick with that same approach that they had last year? Well, he, here's my thing. I think we learned from Joe Judge in year one is that uh, there's always a plan, right? There's a plan, there are details. And he talked a lot about when the season ended, you know, we're going to watch the playoff games and, you know, take notes and see what teams do. And if you watch offenses around the league, take talent aside, because I understand what the talent level is in a Kansas city versus what the giants had last year. But if you watch Kansas city and you see what they do schematically, if you're not doing that as another team in the NFL, you're cheating yourself. You, you're not, you need to pick up on things around the league and try to bring it into your philosophical and schematic approach to what you do. And that means and passing I, if I know Judge Judge and what I learned like about hundred percent. And I think, when I look at what I learned from judge last year is that it was a collective effort. It was a, you know, Jason's the offensive coach, but if Freddie has some Freddie kitchens has some ideas, let's bring him in here. Now, obviously Freddie got put into the OC role when, when Jason, you know, had COVID and couldn't be with the team. But the reality is more voices in certain aspects could kind of open you up a little bit more. And I think, Jason Garrett doesn't strike me as an offensive coordinator in year two that he's going to look at Joe judge and say, I know what you're saying, Joe, but this is what I do. If he felt that way, he would not be here. He would Correct. not be, he would have gone and found another job somewhere else. So I think like what you're saying, I'm optimistic that they watched around the league, saw their deficiencies and will improve that. Um, just matters what happens when you roll the balls out and say, are we actually going to do it on game day versus what we may be practicing in training camp? All right, final question. Let's ask some fun with this. I'll put you on the spot, Art. Give me the Giants' first and second round picks in the draft in a little bit more <laughs> than a month. Oh, man. I've been going back and forth, back and forth. Um, I'll give you I, – I had a mock draft the other day that I, um, I would look at and I'd say, you know what, I could see something like this happen. The Vikings came to me and asked for a trade going from 14 to 11, right? So I figured, okay, I'll drop back to 14. 
they need they wanted one of my, my second the Giants' second sixth round pick, which was the one they got for Marcus Golden, and they would give me a second rounder in 2022. So I did that deal. I moved back from from 11 to 14. I know Gettleman's history about moving back. I think it's overblown, but whatever. Uh, and I took Aziz Ojolari from Georgia in that situation. I thought he's the kind of player that would fit what Patrick Graham likes, what Joe Judge believes in defensively. He can get after it in, in rushdowns. He can drop back in coverage. He's a, he's a raw pass rusher. So I, I would look to get a guy like that in the first round. I'll give him, give him to Patrick Graham, give him to, to Sean Spencer, and say mold this guy into our, our stud. Uh, second round was a little more difficult. Um, because I, I didn't know um, in terms of how much, you know, they'd look at how much more does Sterling Shepard have, where is Darius Slayton, that kind of thing. Um, so I went with, with Rondell Moore from, from Purdue in the second round as a wide receiver. I think it's probably more likely that they look to go uh, offensive line if it's there. Uh, Alex Leatherwood from, from Alabama, maybe. Uh, maybe that's a guy who can come in and, you know, challenge for a spot at guard, but also be, you know, tackle flexibility. Um, so that's, that's where I was at. The other guy I seriously considered before I went with the Ojolari was Elijah Vera Tucker from mm-hmm. USC in that situation. I don't know if it's too high for him. I don't know how the Giants board will shake out, but he's a guy, like we said, that offensive line, if the player is good enough, I'll take the player and I'll worry about how the combinations fit after the fact. Some good names are. We appreciate it. Tell the folks where they can find you on Twitter and where they can find your work and all that other good stuff. Twitter and Instagram are both art underscore Stapleton, uh, NorthJersey.com. And we've got some subscriber sales going on. So if you value the coverage, uh, we certainly hope you do. Uh, Try to come and subscribe because we're trying to make a big push. Save local news. So um, that's, that's kind of what I would what I would say, but I always appreciate being on with you guys, John. Now, I appreciate you being with us. And absolutely, we, we need local news, newspapers and all that stuff. So thank you for the time, my friend. Um, hopefully, I will see you in person around draft time. If not, hopefully, either mini camps if they happen or at worst training camp, my friend. Good seeing you. Sounds good, John. That's Art Stapleton from the record, NorthJersey.com. We thank you for joining us on the Giants Huddle Podcast. Just as a reminder, you can find it on the Giants Podcast Network, presented by Investors Bank on the Giants mobile app at Giants.com slash podcast and your favorite podcast platforms. For Art Stapleton, I'm John Schmelk. Thanks for being with us on the Giants Huddle. We'll see you next time.